A Christian is not a man or woman who never goes wrong, but a man who is enabled to repent and pick himself up and begin over again after each stumble. Why? Because the Christ life is inside him, repairing him all the time. Good day, good day, Kingdom Corner followers. The great Matt Guybe here with you on a bright summer's day. And we're back into the podcast, the Kingdom Corner podcast. And I thought we would do something different today. I normally uh, am a solid Bible teacher. I teach directly from the Word of God and different topics and subjects right out of the Word of God. And we're going to have some of the Word of God today in our broadcast. But what I really wanted to go into was a book by a gentleman from the 40s. I guess it was published in 1952, I believe, called Mere Christianity that I have been reading, and it, it has so impacted me. I remember when I was 18 or 19, I read it. I just read it here again this last month, and it's just so impacted me. I think back when I was a 18 or 19, a young younger lad, it, it just kind of went over my head. It's real basic and yet really deep and uh, kind of complex, uh, written by C.S. Lewis. He was pretty well known. I'm not sure if he's so well known today, but when I mentioned some of the things, I went in and I, I did a... Um, I copied his bio from Wikipedia so I could just give you a bit of the background of, of C.S. Lewis before we get into what I'm going to do with the book. We want to discuss today highlights from Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, which I have read in the past month. I've been reading this book, and I've had some real light bulb moments. That's what I put in my notes here. C.S. Lewis, born in 1898, November, and uh, passed away in 1963. November. He was a British writer, literary scholar, and Anglican lay theologian. Uh, he held academic positions in English literature at both Oxford University, Cambridge University. He is best known as the author, and this is where you might know him, from Chronicles of Narnia, but he is also noted for his other works of fiction, such as the Screwtape Letters, I've read that, Space Trilogy, and for Christian apologetics or nonfiction Christian apologetics, mere Christianity, miracles, and the problem with pain. He was a great friend of J.R. Tolkien. You know this man, too. He's the author of The Lord of the Rings. Both served on the English faculty at Oxford University where they met. And they started a group called the Inklings where they would get together and they had great discussions. I think they met twice a week. Uh, and they would critique each other's work and offer suggestions. So it was a lively group. In 1955, his memoir, Surprised by Joy, uh, he became baptized in the, the Church of Ireland. And he shares his testimony. He fell away in his adolescence. But Lewis returned to the faith at age 32, owing in part to Tolkien and other friends, and he became an ordinary layman of the Church of England. Lewis's faith profoundly affected his work, and his wartime radio broadcasts on the subject of Christianity brought him wide acclaim. And it's interesting. Uh, Lewis wrote more than 30 books in 30 languages. Chronicles of Narnia have, have um, been very popular. They were done on stage, on the radio, and even in cinema. 
uh, and these are writings still are widely circulated in the Christian community. You know, I, I just have been really impacted by this book. I did read Screw Tape Letters as well years ago. I'm going to have to go get that out again. Read the problem with pain. I'm going to have to get that out again. I can even remember my dad, who was um, he was a Christian, but he was very basic Christian, very. Um, would almost call him a carnal Christian, and yet in the end of his life, I think he really came to the Lord in a strong way. He read, read Problem with Pain. He read the screw tape letters. I remember that. Um, but in this book that I'm going to get into, we're going to we're going to look at some things in this book. I'll just read this part right here. The contents of this book were first given on the air and then published in three separate parts. Broadcast Talks, 1942, Christian Behavior, 1943, and Beyond Personality, 1944. He says in the printed versions, I made a few additions to what I have said at the microphone, but otherwise the text has been left alone as I said it. These books are based on the radio talks, kind of like, um, or this book is, kind of like this podcast, you know. Now we podcasts are, are you know, have taken over from the radio. I'm, I'm sure there's still the radio on that, but anyone anywhere can do a podcast, which I've been doing this one for over three years. So, you know, it's just amazing to me what I was going to say originally. It was written in 1952. It's amazing to me just how relevant the thoughts that he comes up with in this book, his musings, his enlightening thoughts, uh, I, I call them revelations that he had, are still so relevant today. He's an apologetic. Apologetics is basically the defending of our Christian faith uh, through logic and argument. He was such a masterful uh, student of being able to do that. And it's he, it's this is such a masterful book in that it would take a person, if they were an atheist, I believe, or um, an agnostic, and they agreed to read the book, it, it just basically subtly begins to take them uh, from the beginning of where someone would say, well, there is no God, uh, or the God uh, that, that there, if there is one is very distant, and it begins to just build little by little logic and, and things to think about. Is this really true? Let's look at this. Let's answer that and begins to, you know, point to a person's logic and makes them think like he thought. I think he probably went through some of these very thoughts himself uh, to come back to the Christian faith and for it to become so real to him. So let's get into this. What I've done with this book is I have read it. Uh, it's marked up a lot with my, with my markers, with my highlighters. Uh, of things that really impacted me. And I pulled these quotes out. I'm going to read the quotes. Uh, we might be here for a while because I, I only, uh, the quotes I'm reading today are from only half of the book. But he breaks this down into four, four main books. And I think these from, are from his talks and maybe from pamphlets he made uh, that, that wasn't a full book like Mere Christianity. Uh, right and Wrong as a Clue to the Meaning of the Universe, Book 1. Right and Wrong as a Clue to the Meaning of the Universe, Book 2, What Christians Believe, Book 3, Christian Behavior, and then Book 4, Beyond Personality or First Steps in the Doctrine of the Trinity. And we'll we'll get into those other three and four books later or sections. But today, most of my quotes, my main, oh yes, they are all out of book one and book two. 
and we're going to get right into that. And what I've done is I pulled out a quote that really struck me, and then I'll make comments about it, but I also want to bring in scriptures that I believe tie right into what he said. So right now we're going to look at the right and wrong as a clue to the meaning of the universe, book one. Right and wrong as a clue to the meaning of the universe. <clears throat> and here's a quote from page four. Now this law or rule about right and wrong used to be called the law of nature. Treating fellow mankind in a way that we would want to be treated is what he's really talking about. Like he gave an example of people arguing over a bus seat, like, oh, I got there first. And the other one said, no, no, you didn't. It's my seat. You know, and how we go through things in life like that, situations, maybe with strangers at the grocery store, oh, you cut in front of me. No, I didn't. Or even, you know, even with our own family, because in eight in every person is a, um, an idea or something deep within them where they know something is right or something is wrong. And that's called the law of nature. And uh, how do we deal with that law of nature? What does God say about that? He gives us some real good indicators from scriptures. Matthew 7, 12, Jesus said, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. In other words, you know, if somebody comes in and they said they crowd in front of you at the grocery store or at that for that bus seat, you'd just say, Well, for now I'll let them have that seat. I would want to be treated in a right way as well. Uh, maybe I, I'll give them the consideration that maybe I was wrong. You know, I, I want to be treated fair. You know, that's why I'm upset because I feel like I'm not treated fairly. They must feel the same way. Uh, Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge. See, that's what we do want to do. Oh, this person cut me off. Oh, this person cut in front of me. And you'd want to really let them know or even have hold a grudge. Do not hold a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love the, your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's not easy to do sometimes, is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 5.14, for the whole law, this is what Paul says, is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, he's quoting the Old Testament. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, you want to be treated right. You want to be treated with the golden rule. And uh, James called this uh, loving your neighbor as yourself in James 8, 2, 8, I should say, in James 2, 8, he called it the royal law, the royal law. Let's go on to another one that I have um, highlighted, that I have in my notes. Each man, this is page four again, each man is at every moment subjected to several different sets of laws, but there is only one of these which he is free to disobey. This, this is the law of human nature, again, we're, we're talking about, we just started with. And then the next point that, that relates to it uh, from page 47, God created things, meaning men, women, which had a free will. All right? So let's look into this. Every man is subjected to several different laws, you know, that we have to live under. Uh, most that's really in my mind, at the top of my mind right now, is the law of gravity. You can't really break that. I guess maybe in the rocket ships, they go up into space. They can for a while break the law of gravity. But we know if we jump from a window, we're going to fall down. We know if we, uh, you know, that's the law of gravity. Uh, I mean, and, and there's also the law, the second law of thermodynamics, where 
uh, things that are in existence, whether it's your body, whether it's that beautiful car you have out in your drive, they all begin to deteriorate. That's that's the kind of environment we, we live in here on Earth, brought in most likely, I'm sure, by the fall of man. I, before the fall of man, I don't think the universe, the Earth, was in a, a, a situation where it was decaying. Galatians 5.13, you were called to freedom. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, you could choose to go out and do something that wasn't right in a certain sense or that wasn't moral, that um, was selfish, like taking that bus seat from somebody that really got there first. You know, you can make that choice. That's, that's a law that you can choose to obey or not obey. Joshua put it this way in Joshua 24, 15, addressing the nation of Israel. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers. In other words, if, it's easy, if you think it's evil to serve the Lord, you can choose the God of your fathers. Go back and serve them. Or, like he says, as for me and my house, though, I'm going to serve the Lord. Okay? So there's a choice there. They could... Though, Children of Israel were free to choose, right? That was a law that's in place of free will, meaning they could choose to serve the God of Yahweh or serve their idols, okay? John 7, 17. John 7, 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, in other words, you decide yourself to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking of my own authority. So we were, we, here's this law again. Each man is subjected to several different laws. The law of gravity, the law of thermodynamics. You can't really change those things. We live under them. But there's one law, the law of free will, that you can do one thing or you can do another. God created things which had a free will. He wrote on page 47 of the book. And the only ones with free will, of course, are human beings, right? Let's go to another point. This is from page 8, The Law of Nature. First, that human beings all over the earth have the curious idea that they ought to behave a certain way and cannot really get rid of it. Secondly, that they do not, in fact, behave in that way. They know the law of nature, you know, like we talked about. Uh, they break it. These two facts are the foundation of all clear thinking about ourselves and the universe we live in. Let's read that again. First, that the human beings all over the earth have the curious idea, I'd say down inside of them is how I put it, that they ought to behave a certain way and cannot really rid themselves of it. Secondly, they do not in fact always behave that way is what he's saying. They know the law of nature, you know, what's right and wrong, the golden rule, how they should treat their fellow man, yet they break it. These two facts are the foundation of all clear thinking. When you begin, begin to really ponder that and realize it, these two facts are the foundation of all clear thinking about ourselves and the universe in which we live. Let's read some scriptures that I, I thought of when I thought of that, that passage there. Romans 7, 15 to 22. <laughs> this is really good. This is Paul struggling uh, with with himself here. For I do not understand my actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And I think a lot of people are in that place. All of us have been through that. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. 
So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that, the, that nothing good dwells in me, that is my flesh. Then let's go on to this phrase. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. See, he breaks, he breaks this law of nature, right? Because he doesn't carry out what he knows to be right. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And that's what, that's what C.S. Lewis addressed here, you know? Uh, we see these things, but we still break that rule. We know deep down what's right, but we it's within each man and woman. That's the way God made us. James 4, 17, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Maybe you're supposed to help that lady down the street who's getting older now, and you just have felt to go and offer to mow her lawn. And that's the right thing to do, but you keep ignoring that. For you, that would be sin, right? Romans 3.23, all have sinned. See, Paul, Paul says it well. He nails it on the, on the head, so to speak. All, every man, has sinned and fallen short of the glory or goodness of God. Let's look at another one. Uh, this is from page 13, from the chapter, Some Objections. If your moral ideas can be truer and those of the Nazis less true, there must be something some real morality for them to be true or not. You know, there's a difference in the way people behave. We would look how the Nazis were, how Hitler exterminated all those millions of Jews. Is that the right behavior? Because some would say, oh, today there's no real morality. There's no right or wrong. But yet I think I, I would challenge any man or woman to look at that history and say, well, that's okay to be that way. That's okay for one race to basically try to, uh, to exterminate another. I don't think so. <laughs> so there must be something to morality. Genesis 3.22, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. I believe he's basically talking to, you know, before himself, but he's addressing also the enemy, Satan, who came and deceived Eve. And this is talking about when they chose, again, they made the choice to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Instead of hearing every word from God, like they had been doing, they made the choice because Satan came as a, a, a snake, you remember that story well, and deceived Eve. And Eve wasn't the only one. The man chose to do wrong too. They made that choice. They became like one of us, wanting in themselves, this is how I'll paraphrase it, to know good and evil. So they they became like God. So he had to basically remove them from that perfect utopian garden of Eden, right? So, if your moral ideas can be less true than that of the Nazis, there must be something to the morality. There is a difference, right? Uh, book two, what Christians believe. Let's go on. Book two, what Christians believe. And get some passages from here that uh, really struck me. If the universe is not governed by an absolute goodness— then all efforts are in the long run hopeless. And that's from uh, the chapter, We Have Cause to Be Uneasy. If the universe is not governed by an absolute goodness, then all efforts are in the long run hopeless. Now let's read some scriptures that go along with that. Psalm 27, 13. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Psalm 33, 5. 
He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. See, we serve a good God. We serve a loving God. I want to get that point across. Psalm 52.1, the goodness of God endures continually, continually. It never ends, okay? And then uh, Exodus 33.18 to 19, Exodus 33.18 to 19, you can read most of that passage, but I'm going to highlight these couple thoughts here. Moses said, to the Lord, please show me your glory, and glory is a derivative of goodness. Show me your goodness. Glory is a heightened sense of goodness, I would say. And God said, I will make my goodness, see he used, God used the word goodness or glory, pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Right? Moses wanted to see all the great grandeur of God's glory and goodness. And, and the passage, if you read it, it was so great, God had to hide him in a rock. Otherwise, if he saw the total glory or goodness of God, his body could not take it. Moses' earthly body could not take it, and he would be, you know, that body would basically explode, right? So that just shows how good God is. God is a good and loving God. Let's read another uh, passage from the book that I highlighted. The happiness which God designs for his higher creatures is the happiness of being freely, voluntarily united to him, to each other in ecstasy of love and delight. Compared with the most rapturous love between a man and a woman on earth, that's mere milk and water. And for that, he's talking about mankind, they must be free. Let me read that again. This is beautiful. The happiness which God designs for his higher creatures is the happiness of being freely, voluntarily united to him, to each other, that is God and man, in an ecstasy of love and delight. And that compared with the most rapturous love between a man and a woman on this earth is mere milk and water. And for that, that means man, they must be free. Isn't that beautiful? Page 48. That's such a beautiful thought. God wants our relationship with us. He wants to be united with us. He wants to have, you know, conversation with us. He wants to share hearts with you, share his heart, and have you share your heart with him. Psalm 1611. God highlighted this to me one, one time about 30 years ago because uh, I, was, I was a worship leader at that time. And uh, a couple hours before the service, God highlighted this verse and I was just so overcome uh, with the goodness of God, a song came out of it. Psalm 1611, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is, is fullness of joy. In thy presence, in God's presence, is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. I will be in your presence, Lord. For there is fullness of joy, and I will stay in your presence, Lord, for it's where you're calling me. Yes, I will be in your presence. That's, what I, that's the song, that uh, part of it that he began to give me. And I was just so overcome, and I shared it that morning in, in the worship service. Acts 2.28, Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. What are the ways of life? To be full of joy with the countenance of the Lord. That's what we were created for. 
That's what he's talking about. The happiness which God designs for his higher creatures is happiness and being united to him out of your free will. You know, not like a robot, right? Let's read another passage. I love this one. Paul's great prayer in Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. For this reason, I'll, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. See, he's named every family. He sees every family. In the, in the Gospels, it talks about he, he knows every hair on your head, right? So he sees every family on earth, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you, he may grant to these families to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being, right? Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you can be rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend or realize with all the saints Oh, this is what he wants for you, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's read verse 19 again. That you might know the love of Christ that surpasses your head knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. My friends, that's what you were created for. You are created to be filled with the fullness and the joy and the happiness of a relationship with the Creator, God. Not some austere being that doesn't care about us, but the one that has every hair on your head numbered, you know, that knows everything about you. Let's go on to another one. We're, we're getting to the end today. And then next, uh, next podcast, next episode, we'll come in with some more quotes from the book, because this I think this is so good for us to look at these things. I would suggest that you get this book, Mere Christianity, by C.S. Lewis. Uh, you can go to Amazon and get the book. It's such a powerful book. Um, God will speak to you through it. Here's the next quote uh, from page 50. Now God designed the human machine to run on himself. <laughs> he himself is the fuel. Our spirits were designed to burn to feed on. There is no other. I love that. God designed the human machine, designed our bodies, designed who we are on himself. He himself is the fuel that fuels our spirits and that we were designed to burn on, to feed on. There is no other. Page 50. So Acts 17, 28, Paul put it this way, for in him, that's God, we live and move and have our being. That's what we were meant for. We are a machine that was meant, if you want to use that term, machine, we are being, body, soul, mind, and spirit, you know, not just a body, but all these other components, right? And we were meant to live, move, and have our being in Him. Whoa, that's powerful. 1 John 4, 9, in this, the love of God was manifested or shown to us that God had sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Hallelujah. That we might live through him. God cannot give us happiness and peace. This is the next um, quote from the book. God cannot give you or give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There's no such thing. Hmm. Romans 5.1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 4, 7, 
And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which passes all your human understanding, your ability to try to figure it out. And believe me, I'm a cerebral guy. I've tried to figure a lot of these things out. It, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up on the calculator, so to speak. It passes all my understanding. We'll keep your minds through Jesus Christ or through Christ Jesus. I mean, I've been th going through sometimes in my life, just like anyone, if you live in this life long enough, you'll go through certain things that are so painful, that are so on your emotions, maybe on your body, uh, maybe with family or loved ones, that you, you just don't know how you're going to make it. And yet this peace, as I have that relationship with the living God, comes upon me that passes my understanding. It shouldn't compute. I shouldn't be able to have that peace with all these things that are going on, so to speak, right? But God gives it to me. Romans 14, 17, this is what I want you to know, uh, dear one, today. The kingdom of God is not meat or drink. It's not all these earthly possessions and things is what he's saying, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And, uh, you know, God hasn't called me to this trial but if, if he did, I, I think I could come around to this place if he allowed me to go through it, because it says he, he allows no trial upon us that we cannot face. Uh, if I came upon a Job trial where I lost everything, so to speak, if he meant me to, or allowed me, or meant me to go that path of that kind of suffering, I could still find his righteousness, peace, and joy. Remember the story of Job? He lost everything, and then his body was racked with the most painful boils. And his wife came to him and said, now will you curse God? Because he'd went through a whole series of things. And he knew. He ripped his garment and said, no. The one that giveth and the one that taketh away, I'm going to worship him. I'm paraphrasing that. In all these things, when you read the book of Job, even though he did make some mistakes, he did uh, fall and falter. He didn't always do what was right, like we talked about. But uh, in the end of that book, God still called him blameless. Not that he was perfect, but that he was blameless, that, that he still came around to walking uprightly. The last quote we'll read today. This is such a beautiful one. Page 63, the practical conclusion from this chapter. A Christian is not a man or woman who never goes wrong, but a man who is enabled to repent and pick himself up and begin over again after each stumble. Why? Because the Christ life is inside him, repairing him all the time, enabling him to repeat in some degree the kind of voluntary death which Christ himself carried out. That is why the Christian is in a different place from other people who are trying to be good. They hope by being good to please God if there is one, or if they think there is not, at least they hope to deserve approval from good men. But the Christian thinks any good thing he does comes from the Christ life inside him. He does not think God will love him because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. I, lo I so love this one. I want to read this last phrase. The Christian does not think God will love us because we're good, doing good all the time. Because we're not. We can't. But that God will make us good because he loves us. Oh, he's making us good. 
He's making us more like him each day. Just as the roof of a greenhouse does not attract the sun because it is bright, but becomes bright because the sun shines on it. Page 63, The Practical Conclusion. I think I should read that again so you can ponder it. A Christian is not a man who never goes wrong, or a woman, but a man or woman who is enabled to repent and pick himself up and begin over again after each stumble, because the Christ life is inside of him, repairing him all the time, enabling him to repeat in some degree the kind of voluntary death which Christ himself carried out. That is why the Christian is in a different position from which other people who are trying to be good. He's different than just people trying to be good, okay? They hope by being good to please God. That is, if there is one. Or if they think there is not one, not a God, at least they hope to deserve approval from good men. But the Christian thinks only good. The only good he does comes from the Christ life inside him. And that's so true. That's, that's the truth today, brothers and sisters. He does not think God will love him because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. Isn't that so good? Just as the roof of a greenhouse does not attract the sun because it is bright, but becomes bright because the sun shines on it. The Practical Conclusion, page 63. Oh my, oh my. I could um, give you some so many scriptures here, you know. I love Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Let's just finish with that. 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. Grace, a free gift of God. It's not of yourselves, Paul said in this passage. I'm paraphrasing. Lest any of us boast by our good behaviors. This is what he talks about. People trying to be good without God. Uh, for the gift of, uh, of God. It's a gift of God. Lest any man should boast, right? For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Lest any man should boast. And then he goes on. A lot of people forget my favorite verses in there. Verse, verse 10 that says, You've been saved then and called to good works. The, those phrases in there have to do with he's making you into a masterpiece. He's making you into uh, his handiwork. Some translations use poetry. We've been saved so he can make us into that masterpiece. Uh, so we can have a relationship with him, and he can do that in our lives. First John 1 John 1.9, if we sin, it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Not because we're so good, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. All right? Let's close with that today. Let me remind you in the end here of some great things that are coming up the end of summer. Uh, the Heavenly Call of Ephesians. Write that down, The Heavenly Call of Ephesians. That's on Facebook. That's my Facebook group where I'm going to be going in there because I've spent a lot of two, three years in the book of Ephesians studying it, teaching from it, and I'm going to be sharing thoughts in there from the book, and it's going to eventually come and produce from that a coaching course for all of you. I'm taking a couple people through it right now. So The Heavenly Call of Ephesians. Uh, it's a Facebook group. You can find that. You can first go to my name, Matt, M-A-T-T-G-E-I-B, M-A-T-T-G-E-I-B on Facebook. And that's where you'll find those things. I want to remind you of that. Please subscribe to this podcast. Um, this is going to be so good. We're going to go into more of this books. It's really right now, uh, God is really using it in my life to highlight things to me. Uh, I'm remembering, I'm going on here, but I, I just have to, I just have to talk 
one more thing. You know, some of these things, if you begin to read them, might seem really basic to you, and they are. Yet those sometimes are the profound things, are those basic things. And uh, what I want to say is I'm reminded of the story of the great football coach, Vince Lombardi of the Green Bay Packers, whose teams won many championships. And do you know every year at the start of training camp, even when these gentlemen, as he called them, had won numerous championships, you know what he did? He'd come and stand before him, before the group, and one of the first things he'd do when they were getting ready to open up the, the training camp, he'd say, he'd have a football and he'd flip it in the air and say, gentlemen, this is a football. <laughs> this is a football. And we're going to learn how to play football, something to those to that effect. In other words, he said to them, this is a football. It's very fundamental. We never want to forget the fundamentals. And that's what I love this book so much. It's so fundamental, and yet it's so deep. And, and uh, I think that's why I forgot when I was 18 or 19, it went over my head. You know, it's like I forgot that football. I forgot the, the, the real depth, which is in actually the salvation message, which is in the message of God wanting to have a relationship with us. So I've waxed on a long time here. Be blessed. Have a great week. Ponder some of these morsels from mere Christianity. Let them seep into your heart and soul and let God begin to speak to you and work on your heart to draw closer to Him. Have an awesome week. I love you, everyone. Be blessed.